Hello, this is Dr. Amy Lindsay, and I'm here to remind you that the information in this podcast is not medical or other professional advice. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. You should not rely on anything you hear as a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional who is familiar with your personal situation. Listening to this podcast may, however, give you a sense of belonging, make you spit take your coffee, realize that DJs can do more than play music, uplift you during a shit day, teach you that sometimes doctors swear too much, or remind you that you are not alone. Amy, uh, I'm alive. Um, I made it. Uh, it was touch and go there for a good 30 minutes. Of course, I'm talking about taking our oldest son driving. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Which I refused to do. You know what? I forget that when you start to learn to drive and you can't see me doing this, but you feed your hands, your hands, you're just, you're not smoothly turning the car. And so I get into the car with him and this is his second time really driving. And I realize I've told him nothing about turning. So we're going around turning, just feeding his hands. And, uh, we were driving by feeding his hands. Like he, he like pushing his right hand to his left instead of like smoothly, um, like he's playing a video game in an yeah, arcade. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and so I forget that. And because it's been years since I've learned how to drive and you just start, you just drive just like 10 and two, 10 and two. Yeah. I said, don't drive with you like me, like an asshole and have your little like thumb at six o'clock and your left hand's not even on the clock. It's just because you don't want to drive that way either. Cause that's dangerous. Someone jumps out. Right. So I don't do that all the time when, you know, but open road. Okay. I won't, won't lie. I do do a little thumb at six o'clock, which sounds kind of dirty. Um, anyway, so we're, we are driving around our, um, neighborhood and we're driving Amy's car. So that's the other thing. Amy was in a a four hour line at Goodwill trying to drop off some things. So good try. But, um, so we were driving around and, and it made me think of my first time driving. Like, was I more prepared? Was I ready? And I remember I, um, the first time I really drove, um, I got a car. I got like a, I got a little Toyota Tercel. It was a 1980 Toyota. Whose car was that? It was mine. We bought it. I had been saving my money because I'd been working. Wait, hold on. Yeah. You bought a car before you learned to drive? Uh, yeah, it was right around the same time. I was getting driven to work or riding a bike. Oh. And so I needed to learn. So we got a car for me to learn and to oh. own. Yeah. And I had saved up for it. Because I got my license not at 16. I had some time and I worked a lot of hours and I saved my money and my mom matched me, which was really nice. And I got this sweet ass 1980 Toyota Tercel. It was not sweet. It was just kind of ass. So I'm down at the base of a thing called the South Hill, Spokane, Washington. South Hill. That's where I live. Was it a stick shift? Stick shift. Oh, oh man. yeah. Oh, it's cool. That's how you learn, man. That's how it uh-huh. gets done. If I'd, it's not hard. And yeah, that's right. Up barefoot, barefoot, walking up through the, the snow. blizzard up the South Hill to get my stick shift. <laughs> So you know, we had to crank it at the front of the car, you know, like the little crank. No, we didn't have to do that. So uh, I get in and I'm like, all I care about is to put in Love and Rockets, uh, So Alive is the first song I hear. That's the only training I have is to hear the first song has to be So Alive by Love and Rockets. That was the best song ever made at that moment in my life. So I, the guy's in the car with me, get in the car and he says, do you know how to drive a stick? I said, I have no idea. I have no, what's a stick? I have no idea what's going on. And he gives me a 30 second lesson on the stick I didn't care. I got my Love and Rocks in. I put that tape in and somehow made it up that hill. And sure, I almost destroyed that transmission. It was just kunk, 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 all the way up that you hill. Just burned out the clutch. Oh, yeah, burned out the clutch. I'm sure I took a year off that car just from that one <laughs> drive alone. And I was like, see, I'm ready to drive because I'd convinced my mom's totally ready to drive. Next day, pulled into a parking lot, uh, promptly uh, hit a pole 
and um, scratched the entire, uh, <laughs> dented the whole right uh, door. And that's how that door sat for the rest of that car's history. It always had a dent to remind me I probably shouldn't have been driving at that age. Anyway, so I guess this went better than my first kind of ish driving experience. I'm sure my mom took me before I got in that car, but that was really my first time like driving, driving. Oh, my first time driving was in a church parking lot with my sister-in-law and I was 14 and she would take us driving and taught us how to drive so we could run errands for her. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Did you go on? Like, uh- my older sister and I, my older sister who's 20 months older than me, she and I would go um, babysit our nieces And then my sister-in-law decided that we needed to run her errands as well because that would be super helpful. So she taught us how to drive in a church parking lot Mm. and then would send us to the grocery store and send us to the dry cleaning. (laughs) And I was 14 and my other sister was like 15 and a half. So they had a whole like workload plan for you. Oh yeah. That's why you learned to drive. Yeah. I remember driving down to the Safeway and like going grocery shopping for her. I had a whole idea that, you know, I thought, I got older and I thought, man, fuck, man, they can't let 16 year olds drive and this bullshit. And I had my whole, like, I can't even believe it, man. They just got to stop driving. Then I saw the rules. The rules now are insane in in a good way. Like they can't drive with other people. They can't drive at night. They got to drive a certain amount of time. They got to. They can't. Yeah. They can't have their friends in the car. They can't have their friends in the car. Yeah. Yeah, Like, you know, and. and It's smart. It is. Most of those car accidents are like 16 year old boys, especially. The other day I sat watching my son play baseball while taking the parental hour that is required of the driver's ed class that he is in. So I had to take this class so I had knowledge to help him. So while I watched our eight-year-old, who had a great game, by the way, it was fantastic, sitting there on the side of the the baseball diamond, I I spent an entire hour learning, and you should write this down somewhere, all 16-year-olds are going to kill all of us in their cars tomorrow. They're all going to kill us. They're going to die. We're going to die. Everyone's going to die. It was just over and over. And I thought to myself, yeah, I already know this. This is, this is, old, this is old news to me, but thank you so much. I don't ever want to get in the car with my kid again. You know, um, I've had two conversations with two different parents about this recently, how I don't want to take our kid driving and how I want you to be the guinea pig and how you have, I'm like, I told John, he's got to take him driving like six weeks. He's got to do like six weeks worth of driving. And then maybe I'll get in the car with him. And both times, I mean, I thought these were my people, you know, like you think, you know, your people, mm-hmm. they're basically like, what's wrong with you? I'll teach him how to drive. I love doing that shit. And I'm like, wow, wow. You know, when you just don't know things about people, nobody should teach your kid how to drive. <laughs> this is why we spend money. <laughs> On the Doctor and the DJ podcast, we continue to dive into the very scary world of first time driving with your children. Amy will discuss her period as a superpower and our guest, Colin Donnell. He is the star of stage and screen. He makes music. We're playing his band throughout the podcast. So I want to mention that as well. The band you're hearing, the 1920 you'll be hearing throughout this podcast. He put out a record called Chaos and Cocktails during the pandemic, which features some of our favorite things, chaos and cocktails. Uh, And then we're going to date you a brand new song from his band at the end of the podcast. Can you see me there? I'm calling out your name. 
I'm just glad I'm alive, Amy. I, 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 it was scary. Well, you texted me. You're like, we made it. We're alive. And, he, and that he, was serious. I was like, you need to text me and tell yeah, me you're he, safe. He was like, he was like, man, that wasn't as, it was funny. He said, that wasn't as stressful as I thought it would be. That went really well. And I didn't say anything because inside of my head, I was like, what the fuck are you talking about right now? That was the scariest 30 minutes I've had in years. <laughs> you were insane. I was like sweating in places you don't want to sweat. I was just, oh, man. and I thought. And then I did turn at one point. I said, just be careful, please. Can you imagine coming home and after you wrecked your mom's car? We we both are. That's it for us. We're going to have to live in the yard. So well, when I took driver's ed, they they had the other side break and like there was a break. Like the driver's ed teacher had a break on the passenger side of the car. they just fucking hit that thing while you're driving? Did they do that I, with you? Yeah. That was so weird. I would, I would though. Can Wouldn't you, you? Can you imagine even you and I driving and the other person had a break? We'd be hitting it all the time and we love each other. But I'd be like, oh, what the fuck is she doing right now? She's too close to that car. I'm going to have to hit the brake. And then you turn to me and be like, what, what are you doing right now? I don't need a brake. Can you imagine? Well, we'd kill each other, but I'm just talking about oh, for driver's ed. I know, but let's get those in the cars and see what happens. <laughs> Do you know how many wrecks there would be? No, that would be at like divorce scale. That would hit on the divorce scale as like a nine. That's a nine on a one. We have a divorce scale of one to 10, okay? And just to remind <laughs> listeners who are new to the podcast, putting up wallpaper in your own house is an eight. For instance, on the divorce scale, but we planned, made some, and we hydrated, and we, we took hydrated, breaks. took breaks, and it, we dropped it down to a little DefCon two. Okay, and we so, measured, yeah, three or four times before we cut, and we discussed the divorce scale because you should discuss it beforehand. That's right. You don't turn to them during it and be like, "This is a fucking eight right now." This because then it goes up to a nine. As soon as you mention the divorce That's scale right. in anger, you have to raise a point. This That's is right. these are the rules. I'm sorry, we made them up. And and speaking of that, you know, I've learned about, you know, I'm a doctor and a woman, and I believe it or not, I have gotten behind the eight ball of like my cycle, my periods and stuff, and mm-hmm. like if I. I'm going to PMS or if I'm in my superpower time during the month or whatever. And I figured this out. You don't wallpaper if you're PMSing. Right. Well, how many, what activities are, do you, is it, I know you've talked a little bit about like exercise. I know you do that when you're, when you're a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. No. So it's actually fascinating. You know, not enough people talk about this and we do live in a very male dominated culture and like, but athletes, for example, like female athletes, really, really, really should get a coach who will train them based on their cycle. It's way better training. You know, your rests and recoveries and how hard you push yourself or if you're doing weight training or anything like that. There's like, you know, there's times when, you know, uh, during the month where you're going to be better off pushing yourself more. And then there's times during the month where you're just too depleted, like you're just too depleted. And so you got to pull back a little. You're literally not going to have enough oxygen or the right kind of hormonal balance to pull it off. Is this common knowledge? No, fuck no. I think so. 
Like, I don't no, know. No, the, people talk about periods like, oh, she's on the rag, and it's like super negative or condescending, yeah. or they're, they, they don't understand it. There are people out there who I've heard comments, and it's, of course, uh, men, who say, well, can't you hold it? Oh, like, oh, can't you oh hold my, it? Oh, my God. You know, when there was this whole conversation about, like, why, <sighs> like, tampons and pads and things were taxed. Which is so stupid. Is dumb. <laughs> and why they weren't offered in schools and, like, um, in public restrooms and things like that. It's like, well, just hold it. You don't, you don't hold your period. Well, <laughs> is it getting back to your, your original point about exercise and other things like that? Is it common knowledge with women? I know with men, it's just like, they don't, Do we don't know, know anything at any time. And I think that's bad. I think the only thing I ever hear, Amy, is, oh, she's on a rag. Oh, she's PMS. That's all I heard. I grew up with just my mother, my grandma, my sister for most of those years. And I realized something was up, you know, like, but we never, oh God, we never talked about, like, I have no idea. Men need that information as well. So they don't say dumb shit, things like that, but also just like everything else, education is key. Like the more we even know about it, but, but you're saying women aren't even having this conversation or. No, there's sort of like, you know, women clearly know when they're having their period. (laughs) I assume that. Women do know that. Okay. They're fucking really clear about that. Um, and they're clear when they're PMSing too. Right. Maybe, maybe an hour or a day late, like, Oh fuck, that's right. My period's around the corner. But to actually use your cycle to your power. And what I mean by that is, and I educate women about this all the time, is that I say, okay, figure out your cycle length. So I don't know, we're going to go textbook here. By the way, women don't live in a textbook. (laughs) This isn't how like many, many women experience their cycles, but let's just go textbook for a second. So if your period's 28 days long, you divide it by four. So that's seven days. So we're going to say everything's a week long. That's total just for easy math because this is a podcast and, you know, I'm not your doctor, so we can't really get into it. But you go week one is bleed. Like you are having your period. Week two, I call your superpowers. Like it's your superpower week. Like I stack my schedule. I lift heavier when I'm lifting weights. I do more exercise. I can do more things. I feel really, really good. And so I always say, like, if you if you have a business presentation, or like a job interview, and you have the ability to schedule it on your like superpower week, oh my God, fuck yeah, do that. It's like, it's amazing. And then the week after that's more reflective, like week three is more like reflective and you're still kind of have energy and you're fine. Um, but maybe that's a good time for creativity. And then week four, which is typically the week before your period, I call it retreat. Like that's when you maybe don't take on that extra shift at work. Maybe don't go up in weights if you're weightlifting and you have like goals of like going up in weights. Wait for <laughs> wait for week two to like increase your weights um, and just kind of scale back a little and kind of retreat. Like don't take on too much. And And it's amazing what it does for mental health. It's amazing what it does for like how you work, how you exercise, how you live, how you interact with people. It's incredible. Like maybe don't have a difficult conversation on week four with someone. What if, uh, what if you're a uh, uh, male, I said mm-hmm. a dumb man. <laughs> I'm just spitballing here. I'm just making up a person, not myself. This is not about me at all. But let's just say you're, you're, you're a dumb me 
and you start a difficult conversation um, during that time. You need a safe word. That's what I think. <laughs> you need Oklahoma. Oklahoma. <laughs> Shout out to Ted Lasso. Um, yeah, like a safe word or a, this isn't the time. Mm-hmm. And this is a tough one, Amy, because I don't, it's not about me. Yeah. I don't want to make it about me. I'm sure as hell not going to mansplain periods to you because I, <laughs> I, I can't and I don't want to. And I, uh, and but you know better. But, and I know better. <laughs> you can just hear it in my voice. I'm treading here lightly because I, because it is so unknown to men. And again, I'm talking about a, a heterosexual relationship here where, you know, there are other relationships as well uh, that, that I'm with two women. I, I'm not even going to go there. I don't, I don't, what would that be like? Um, but I, I bet they talk about it more and they're way more I, in sync about I bet, what they need I for bet. sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, and two men, I'm pretty sure don't talk about it at all. So, you know, this is the exact opposite. <laughs> um, but just as, okay, just in this um, relationship, how do I, <laughs> how do I react to that? Or how do, how does, <laughs> what is the best plan for the dumbass man? That's what I'm trying to say. Like, what do you mean? Do you mean? I guess what I'm asking is, um, is it knowledge is power? Just having that knowledge. If I have that knowledge, if I'm aware of the calendar, should I be aware of the calendar? Should I be, I mean, that seems like a strong thing to do. Like if I had, if I knew there was in my, if I had a cycle and I knew these weeks were better for different things and was aware of that. Um, it would probably change some of some of the some of the conversations I would have, or maybe the plans I would make with you. Is that too much? Is that no? I don't think it hurts, but I want us to be really careful to then not make the period everything. Yeah, like if you're being a yeah. dick, it's not because I'm PMSing. Like you're being a dick, and so maybe I have less tolerance for that shit because I'm PMSing, <laughs> right? And so when women are like PMSing around their periods too, they're usually more sensitive. So that doesn't mean it's their fault, right? Like, right. oh, no. she's PMSing. That's right. It's actually that your level of tolerance for bullshit goes down. <laughs> so so I guess that's what I'm trying to say is that it, it's helpful as, a, as someone who menstruates. If you're a human out there who menstruates and you have a cycle, it's super empowering to learn more about it and figure out what your hormones are doing and like figure out when you have a superpower week. Are you kidding me? I feel like I can like rule the world during that time. I am so on my game for like that time and even into the next week. And then it starts to wane a little bit. It it does. And then I have to like pull my energy back and be a little more mindful of like, I need rest or I, now's a good time for me to like sort of have some creativity or do more gardening or, you know, um, maybe not take on a new patient this week. Maybe wait (laughs) until you know, maybe uh, block my new patient schedule that week or something. Because when I'm taking a new patient on, there's just so many new things I'm learning about a person that it takes my my attention, like a certain level of attention. But what I'm saying, though, is to then use it as an excuse, though. I, that's that's not the direction I'm going. Right. No, that makes sense. Right. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Have okay. you have you um, incorporated this into like your weight training and, and oh yeah, think, totally. Like, have you seen like is it is it obvious to you it, it, like the the difference when you because I know before you just exercised. Mm-hmm. The, the, we never had. Well, this let's conversation. say okay. So when we were at the cabin recently, when we were out in the woods, yeah. at a cabin, we brought our weights. We did, and we- I forgot the twelves. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot the twelves, and it was during like my superpower week. 
and I hadn't gone up from 12s before and there were 15s there and I was like, fuck it. And I used the 15s and I was totally fine. And then fast forward to like week four, I was doing kind of the same routine and I couldn't do the 15s. I was like, oh my God, what the hell's wrong with me? I was like, oh yeah, that's yeah, right. right. So I went back down to the 12s, yeah. right? Oh, that's, that's great. Like, cause before mm -hmm. you probably, if you were doing that, were just like pushing what, through it. Yeah. What's, or what's wrong with me? Well, man, I'm just like, what, what's going mm -hmm. on? You don't have an answer. Mm -hmm. So now you have an answer. Yeah. And actually I think it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, women have the ability to sort of track their cycles and track all this stuff because men clearly have ups and downs and hormonal fluctuations and times when they're more irritable and times when they're lower energy and you don't um, have the same sort of way to track it. That's obvious. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, you probably have to be doing a lot of testing of yourself. Like right? you can test your blood sugar. You can get like a glucose monitor. And clearly if you're, you know, low blood sugar, people usually have lower energy and stuff like that. But like, how do you test? Like, I don't know. I'm a doctor and I don't know. I don't, see a lot of men so i'm not like super up on men's health in a way that maybe well I other have, people are but i have those days <laughs> right <laughs> right the, and i'm not like oh what are you pmsing right there's yeah. no yeah there's I, sort of no and then i was short and i don't even know why i was short with our oldest earlier maybe i was scared we we're gonna drive later but i i reacted poorly and i just i couldn't even help it i don't even there's just i just felt all off off yeah yeah yeah. And so as humans, we do, right? We have off days and on days and days where we have feel no energy or more energy, or we feel happy some days or irritable other days. And so regardless of like your menstrual cycle, you, that is a thing, right? And so the menstrual cycle is just part of it. It's just a piece of the puzzle, I guess is well, what I'm I, trying to say. I know, I know, Amy, you talk more about this too. Um, uh, we barely mentioned where people can follow you. And I know you've been putting information about that and... Uh, menopause and just all kinds of stuff. Where are you on Instagram again? I'm promoting you right now. This is good. Oh, Dr. Amy Lindsay. Don't be shy about it. There's good stuff there. I know. It's good stuff there. You pull me from water so deep. So I'll give you All the way over in New York, uh, just north of Manhattan, uh, at our house that we have been in since all the shit hit the fan last year. Uh, and I'm in my basement while my baby is sleeping. And I have to say before we uh, before we get started, it's it's nice to have uh, interview someone in a uh, in a. I can see the soundproofing in your. You have better soundproofing than I do in here, and I do a radio show in here, so I'm I'm already happy about this interview. You know, my wife Patty does audiobooks every once in a while, and I was like, you know what we should have? Secretly thinking that I was going to make more use of it, I was like, we should get a vocal booth in our basement. We've got the space, and like, it's going to be great for your audiobook stuff. Meanwhile, I was like, ooh, that's going to be sweet. 
Woods. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much every purchase over at my house, too. I think you're really going to like yeah. this, Amy. <laughs> it's going to be really useful for you. You are really good. I, I think I think our wives know what we're saying. I think we think we're smart. And like, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I got this one <laughs> the entire time. If they were talking, they'd be like, yeah, that asshole thought I was, yeah, I thought I didn't know that. <laughs> Yeah. You know what? Her obsession is, is books. Our, our wives are actually probably the same people. Uh, it's, it's <laughs> like she gets so many books delivered to the house and it's because she actually does read them. I think she's up to like 80 some odd books that she's read this year so far, maybe po- possibly over a hundred at this point. But I feel like any music, music related purchase that I make is just, you know, going like one for one against her books that she purchases. <laughs> that's how I justify it. I don't know if it actually works. No, we're, we're that's staying in the podcast. Cause I am, I actually have this thought when I purchase things like, well, well, thank you for joining us, man. It's so good to talk to you in person. Kind of. We're not there yet. It's nice. It's nice yeah. to see your faces not on my phone <laughs> um, and actually have a conversation. Yeah, I, I think we, we could even start there because um, it, it's, you know, this world we live in um, where you can kind of get to know someone over social media or over, well, not necessarily just posts. I wouldn't say that um, because a lot of people put their best foot forward. It's uh, as Amy has said to me, let's see your representative. It's sort of like a first date. Like, oh yeah. Instagram's like your, yeah. your representative. Here's a version of John Richards <laughs> that I really would like Amy to like. So I'm going <laughs> to yeah. send you out first to like, you know, do battle. And then I'm going to sit back here, the dumb shit, John Richards, and just wait it out until you're ready. So the actual posting, no, but just being able to communicate with people. And I think during this pandemic, even more so to find those right. kindred spirits out there or people you connect with. So anyway, it's been nice getting to know you over, over those messages is what I'm trying to spit out. Likewise. I mean, it's, it's funny cause you know, I've been listening to KEXP and I've been listening to you specifically for, for so many years now. And this is the good side of social media, right? right. Like you connect with the people that you admire and that you like what they're doing and that you feel like you've got something in common with. And you have access to those people all of a sudden. And when they're good people, you strike up a friendship of sorts. And hopefully that communicates into the real world. And sometimes it does. And this is us doing this is like the most beautiful part of social media. (laughs) Yeah. I I have seen the other side of social media recently. It is is not pretty. Uh, But the good sides of it for, I think for you as well, your message is very similar to, uh, I think our message. I think that's one of the reasons we get along is putting our mental health out there for the public to see, to hopefully help others. And I'm sure you agree to help ourselves as well. It feels good to be able to talk about a lot of my morning show today was about that. Actually, Uh, I was just getting a lot of people who had struggle in their life where they were struggling. So I think that was part of it as well. And, and that's one of my first questions was going to be how you found I think you found me first. So it was on KEXP doing the morning show. Um, and I yeah. remember you reaching out about the You're Not Alone message. And uh, immediately, uh, too, I think for uh, fellows of a certain age, I don't know about you, but I wasn't raised ever to talk about this ever, never, ever. Um, I'm curious, uh, kind of your path to talking about mental health. You know, a lot of it came about when I started my relationship with my wife, Patty, I think that I maybe was dealing with a lot of this stuff, you know, by pushing it down for a long time. Um, but 
my uh, Patty is very outspoken about her own struggles with mental health and being diagnosed depressive and having anxiety. And when we started our relationship, it became very clear that I was going to have to learn more about it very quickly if I wanted things to continue to grow between us. And I've been so in awe of how open she is with it and how helpful she has been to other people and also for herself. Like it, it, it helps her so much to be able to be out in the open and to be communicative about it. And so really that was when I started to recognize more things within myself and how important community was and how important it was to say, oh shit, I'm going through a bad day and what is causing that and what in my life is adding to that and how do I cope with it in a good way? And, you know, whether it's music or talking to her or sitting, reading a book, I mean, it's all, you know, you guys know it's a holistic approach to all those things, right? But it really has been, it's been a journey for me to become more comfortable with myself recognizing struggle and recognizing the need to put it out into the open to be able to deal with it more, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, makes total sense. I'm curious if you uh, feel comfortable sharing what you do for coping, like what are your coping strategies or do you have a daily ritual or weekly ritual or, or some of your go-to behaviors to cope with mental health or cope with a bad day, for example? You know, one of the biggest things for me is actually my meditation practice. I learned to meditate back in 2008, I believe it was. I took a weekend course in Vedic meditation, which is about as close as you can get to transcendental without being transcendental meditation. <laughs> and I think only in the last maybe five years have I recognized how important it really is to my day and to my week, year, being a dad, now a husband, a partner, all that stuff. Because I've gone away from it for several months and even, you know, close to a year at a time where it was just like, nah, it's not that big of a deal. I don't need to sit for 20 minutes <laughs> twice a day and do this thing. Yep. I'm I'm going along just fine. And then all of a sudden, I'll go through a period where I'm like, oh, what is going on in my life? And I finally circle back to, well, you know, maybe I should sit down in the morning and do this. <laughs> and then maybe I should sit down again in the afternoon and do this again. And the change is like, I mean, it's, it's fucking night and day yeah. for me. Yeah. I suddenly become more present and more capable of just dealing with the entire day. I, I become, you know, a better listener and a better communicator. It, it really has changed my life. And I'm not a big, I don't shout it out to the rooftops. God, man, your journey is so similar. This Monday was the day I was like, what the fuck is going on, man? I can't, I'm just, I have so much going on and so many thoughts and I can't. And again, it's like the, <laughs> I hate to say this, you know, you, just, you shouldn't call yourself dumb, but I, I was like, this is, you're so dumb right now. Like, you know exactly what it is. And what I was doing is I actually sit in the radio booth and sit for 10 minutes before I get started on what I want to do. And lately it's been so busy and I've been trying to get things ready that I haven't done it. And every day this week, I've done it. It hits me somewhere about mid show. This is so much better because I'm right. in the moment I'm focused. I'm, 
and I'm the same. I, I try not to push too much to tell people like, you really should be doing this. But when people ask, I try to give them a simple, you know, 10 minutes, if you have 10 minutes and you know, that phrase, like if you don't have 10 minutes then you need two hours always jumps right. out. But when, so when people talk to you about it, when, because what I've learned is because people find out I meditate or they ask me, I'm not telling them to do it, but, but I tell them, well, you know, here's what I do. I'm almost like, Hey, well, you know, you can try. How do you present it to your friend? How do you present it to a family member? If, if they do ask without scaring them away? Well, you're right. It's, it's a little like, it's a little crunchy granola. It's a little like up in the air kind of stuff. But I try to tell people that it's as simple as sitting down and just shutting up for 20 minutes. And th that's what my meditation is. It's 20 minutes twice a day. And I just say, you know, imagine that you took 20 minutes for yourself to do absolutely nothing or to do whatever you wanted most in the world. How would that change your day? Like, that's what that does for me. It, it, it brings me like it just allows me to get shit done faster uh, and more effectively not, and then I pretty much just leave it there because, <laughs> because there's all the studies yeah. that show all the things yeah. of all the like benefits that you can get for it from it. But, you know, I, I just kind of leave it hanging and I try to go about my day and, and go about my life in such a way that people sort of recognize the benefits in a abstract way. Right. Um, and it's, it's sort of that like, X factor of like, how are you so calm right now? You're, I mean, so I wake up about two hours before I know my daughter will wake up now. <laughs> she usually wakes up around seven. I wake up at five Smart. so that I can wake up, I meditate and I work out first thing done. It's all over by the time the rest of the house gets going. And if something doesn't happen, <laughs> if one of those things don't happen in the morning, I'm going to be a little on edge. So talk a little bit about working out. I, um, I love to work out and I did a lot of yoga for a really long time. And I was a long distance runner for a long time until I had a hip replacement. So I had to sort of like hang up my running shoes, but I took on lifting recently. And to me, that's, that is a moving meditation in and of itself, because if I'm going up in weight, I'm suddenly like, Oh fuck, how do I, how am I going to lift this fucker, you know? And I have to like use my breath and be super focused on what my body, my breath and my mind are doing. And you're just super in the moment. And I see on the Instagrams, you're lifting the, lifting the heavy shit. So tell us about that practice. Yeah. You know, being physical has always been a thing for me. I actually love working out. I mean, it sort of comes part and parcel with the business in a way. When you're a guy that looks like me, that people expect to look a certain way, which is a whole nother line a whole of discussion. Certain kind of handsome. Uh, There's a level but, of handsome you must you must be at at all times, and you are aware of that. That makes me so happy. Like I have to be at this level of handsome and in shape at all times. There's, you know, but it's. I, I get that part of the business. And there was a long time when I worked out in a way that was sort of uh, harmful, maybe. Like, it was, you know, I, I, I was obsessive. It was, it was working out. It was trying to control all my food. And, you know, it was, it was trying to look a certain way for a certain thing. And I'm not really – I fucking love food. And I love 
cocktails and things like that. So now I've gotten to a point in my life where I feel like I've got a nice balance and I feel the same way when I'm working out. It's an hour where I can shut my brain off in a way and just sort of move my body and sweat and feel good. And it all comes down to the most, do you remember the Planet Fitness yeah. commercial where he was like, I pick things up and I put them down? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome to me. I'm like, yeah, I pick things up and I put them down and it feels really fucking good. That's like running. I say, well, I run from this spot to that spot. That's what I, <laughs> I, nothing for me, nothing's even chasing me. And like for lifting, like I don't need to put something somewhere. I always think it's five aliens look down and be like, what the fuck are they doing? Like what? A, so that, that means like when you get a call and they say, now I'm going to guess on the plot of the show, you are a lifeguard in an apocalyptic, I'm just guessing on the plot here, but you have to be ready to go down there at any given moment as an actor and be a certain, like, it's almost like being on call to be you. That to me is such an interesting way to live. Yeah. You know, I always, I, when I, when I've like talked to younger actors or like given advice about things. I, I always say that the real work is in between the jobs, right? The, the It's the auditioning, it's the preparation, it's keeping yourself in shape, it's keeping your voice in shape, it's uh, keeping your mind sharp and, and being aware. Then the then you get to the job and it's that's bonus time, that's playtime. It's fucking fun. Like what we do is really, it's a lot of work, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and it's, it's the joyful part of like, oh, I got a job and I can do it. <laughs> But like the grind is the other is is all the days in between. And, you know, there's been a lot of days in between <laughs> right now. Uh, and so, you know, I one of the big things for me over this past year, we my wife and I moved up to this house that we um, were lucky enough to buy a few years ago. And we moved up when Broadway shut down. And I was like, I need some gym equipment. I need to turn the garage into something because I can't. I can't do this. I'm going to go out of my fucking mind if I can't like move in some sort of way and pick some things up and put them down again. <laughs> so you made me think of something. Um, whenever I watch shows about actors, <laughs> so I'm getting my knowledge about actors from another show very meta. where there's, where there's a, want to be actor or there's an actor in the show I'm watching. So now they're acting to be an actor <laughs> and there's always this process where it's like, look into your soul and think of the memory of the thing so that you can act this way. Is that how it goes? <laughs> and then, and then do you have, do you, you have like question. your <laughs> list of memories that you tap into to like, what level of fucked up scenes? thing that happened to you? Are you going to write this? <laughs> Dog to be able to cry, like where's and, and then and then in a more serious way, like I'm honestly curious, like I'm serious right now. It's a two part question. And then the second part is, um, is that kind of therapy in a way? Is it therapeutic to be an actor, to like be able to be creative and also to sort of deal with your shit? Does that make sense? Well, if one isn't true, then it's not. He can't answer two. <laughs> Well, no, it's 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 a twofold answer. I'll uh, I'll address the first part first. <laughs> uh, there are some people, and there are some schools of thought out there that do that method of acting, and I'm not talking method with a capital M. 
although that is a thing. Um, you know, there's there, especially when you're in school and you're going through all this stuff, there is a bit of training that's like, you know, now you need to tap in, you know, when did your dog die when you were seven years old or your cat got run over by a car up the street? Like, you know, what did that feel like? I am not that type of actor. (laughs) Uh, I see words on a page and I try to not fuck them up. Um, (laughs) There is a certain amount of sort of putting yourself into the moment that I do. And it's like, you know, if, if there's a particularly emotional scene, it's really about dropping into what the reality of that moment is i mean and we're acting i mean it's not real uh, some people carry it home from work i don't do that as soon as i leave the building i'm like hey wife how's it going um so i guess that maybe answers your first question some people do that i'm i'm wary of those people sometimes <laughs> and the second part is for sure uh there's a lot about being an actor and being creative in general i mean this is sort of a blanket statement for all art forms um and it's as true about acting as it is music or art sculpture whatever your medium is there is something so cathartic about getting in front of an audience or putting something on you know doing a take of a certain type of scene that you know it always relates to some point in your life and you're like oh shit that felt good felt so good and i mean speaking specifically about theater there's no bigger high than being on stage in front of whether it's 50 100 1500 10000 people there's like that energy that you feel whether it's a comedy or a drama or somewhere in between you get to work stuff out there is um there's going to be a new book that's coming out by a really talented photographer that does a lot of broadway photography called when the lights go on again and my friend rob mcclure had a quote he's playing playing the lead in mrs doubtfire that's uh, going to be coming back to broadway soon and he called the theater a church it doesn't really matter what denomination you are when you step into a theater as an audience member or as an actor you're part of the church and you're going through something from the beginning when the first chords hit in an orchestra or when the when the curtain goes up to the minute that the play is done and everybody's taking their bows you've gone through something and i think that's really the magic of it all do do you have um like a peak moment that you had like maybe the highest you felt during a, a moment where you've acted do, or do you have several i think of mixes i've done where i've like and I, then I can't remember them a week later, but I can remember a few, like that's when I was at the top of my game. Do you have that feeling or that, that moment where you just like, this is why I do it. Yeah. It happens every time I get to be back on stage, honestly, or, or even every time I get to go to a new set and be, be a part of something that's either just beginning. I love creating things from the ground up. Mm. And most recently, I've been a part of the almost famous musical adaptation. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, our opening night at the Old Globe this past, I guess it was two years ago now, uh, I hadn't felt that way in so long. I've been doing TV for so long, and I, you know, I'm grateful for every second of it. But 
there was nothing like having an audience out there, mustache, wig, sweaty, guitar strapped across my chest, and just feeding off of 900 people or 1,100 people sitting in an audience digging what I do. I was like, this is it. This is what I'm chasing. And I feel that all the time when I get on stage. And I, I just like, you're just constantly chasing a high. Uh, do you, in that, is the, the two of my favorite scenes, um, one was in the plane when the plane's going to crash, uh, <laughs> which, uh, that's the movie. I don't, I, I don't know if you so know. Good. It's so good. And the other, spoilers, do, John. I don't want to give it away. And then the others when everyone sings, um, Elton John. Yeah. Like that is everything. They're like, both part of the stage. Oh, good. Show. <laughs> Okay. Uh, I can go now. I, and and now I, I can personally, go. Okay. I personally believe that they were, that they are beautifully done. <laughs> um, it's, you know, I just got off the phone with, with Cameron Crowe the other day, actually. And, you know, he's, he's had a big hand in, uh, adapting his script for the stage. He's, he's been co-writing lyrics with Tom Kidd, our composer, you know, he's, he's probably the nicest man in show business that I've ever met, but there's like, it's a wonderful show. Um, you know, I, I hope when people get to see it, they, they share the magic, but that time that we spent out in San Diego and Cameron's hometown, like was just, it was it that like, when you're talking about a peak, like that was just the best. Yeah. I think hanging with Cameron Crowe would be uh, uh, for sure. Hey, he's one of our favorite Seattleites. So we take a lot of, take a lot of pride in Cameron Crowe up here. That's fair. Yeah, that is fair. We still own him. Like he's still one of us. <laughs> he's, we're not letting him go that easy. Um, when did this start for you? How old were you? And it was, I know it was around music and acting kind of went hand in hand. You were, you know, double threat. What were you, was it one or the other came first triple threat? Maybe you're doing something else. I don't know. They all sort of came uh, at once. So, I mean, I'll, I'll make a long story short. Uh, I, yeah, I broke my ankle playing football my freshman year of high school. And I tried to wrestle that year. And after about two weeks of practice, I was like, <laughs> these guys are way too tough for me. Uh, so I gave that up pretty quickly. And my mom, you know, I was sitting around and my mom was like, you know, they're, they're doing a musical at your school. Maybe you want to like try out for it. And, uh, they were doing Barnum, uh, the musical and I could juggle because I was like an obsessive fifth grader or something like that and taught myself how to juggle after hmm. seeing somebody do it. Uh, and so I went in and I juggled for them because they were looking for circus performers. And the music teacher at the time said, do you sing? And I was like, nah. <laughs> and she was like, okay, well, maybe you could sing happy birthday for me. Could you do that? So I sang happy birthday for her. And that literally was the end of the story. Like she was like, okay, we're going to put you into choir. We're going to like get you doing this for real. And it just kind of kept going from there. I like I fell in love with it and I quit sports and I was very lucky to have super supportive parents who like didn't really bat an eye. They were like, yeah, OK, if you want to keep doing this, it's cool. And, um, and then I went to college for it. I made a sort of pact with myself as I went off to college and even as I got into my career, I said, as soon as I stop having fun doing this. I am going to stop because it's just too fucking hard to not love it. 
and you know, here I am 20 years later, still having a blast. Man, I, I love hearing that and, and that you're still having fun. And I think that's inspiring for people because we talk a lot about finding just the joy you have or the thing you should be doing. And I feel like people can, if they can get rid of that, the inner voice telling you, you can't. And I always said that about mixing music and playing music. I, I swore that the day, the day I walked into that booth and wasn't excited or didn't want to learn about new music, I would quit on the spot. I would, that would be it. I'm done. And it's never happened once. So clearly, cause I'm still on the air, but, um, to be able to do that is so, you can't lose that perspective because it makes life so much better when they, when, when a majority of your waking working hours are done something that brings you that much joy. The other thing is I waited until and Amy and I were married. Um, and I, I came into the room and I said, Amy, I, there's, you know, one of these talks I, I came in, I said, I have to, I have to admit something to you. And she was like, Oh shit. You know, like, uh Oh, I'm like, yeah, I think you need to sit down. And she said, okay. And so then I walked over and I grabbed three oranges and I, <laughs> I started juggling and, uh, I, I didn't, you know, I was worried. I figured we were already married. This was the time to tell her that I'm an accomplished <laughs> juggler. <laughs> and, and she just, her jaw just dropped like, no, and I can go two, two, and then back to three, three, two, two, yes. back and forth under the leg, behind the back, whatever the fuck you need me to do. Because I played a lot of sports. I played a lot of tennis, a lot of baseball, and there's a lot of sitting the fuck around. And so yep. I sat here doing this and I figured out how to juggle. And I, I couldn't admit that I was a circus performer to my wife <laughs> until we were married. I want to make sure we were in a good place before I admitted. And she accepted me. She, she said she still loved me. I don't think I said anything for weeks after that. I was, I was, I was looking in closets for stilts and like Dude. mime outfits and the um, makeup. You were looking for the for the like like pasty white makeup. And yeah. I was, I but was you, looking in drawers and closets and. Um, it is universal. If you can, if you if you whip out juggling to somebody at any point, I can do it anywhere. I'll do it tonight. Just just do it to, right now. I'll, we're going to the bar tonight. I will, <laughs> I will grab some fruit and start juggling. People will be like, what the fuck? That guy can juggle. It's like, so, like, <laughs> like it's so hard. Like you're an accomplished musician. No, I, I picked up three balls and threw them to myself for, you know, cause I was bored for hours at a time. Yeah. Like there, I, you know how many half eaten apples there were around my house as a kid. My mom was like, you gotta finish and- one. You just, you just have to finish one. <laughs> So I want to point out also, so Colin was telling his story, which, and I was pulling out similarities between John and Colin. You two Mm. are like long lost brothers. It's true. John, didn't you break your ankle or something? I I didn't want to, I already brought up the like joy thing. And then I realized actually I was playing sports. John broke his ankle. I started the ultimate team at the University of Washington. I snapped my ankle and uh couldn't play anymore and that was the thing bring me joy so it got me the guts like to hobble up to the radio station that was on campus at the time and say like i'm and i'd never said anything this bold to anyone at this point in my life i don't think i said i'm going to keep coming back here on these crutches until you let me do something i i just that was out of a movie like this is it I'm going to throw it all. I got nothing to lose here, man. So were you like splicing tape for a while? I was, and they were even behind the times then. So I had to like reel to reel, razor blade with the chalk and shit. And I was like putting production spots together and it was the happiest I had ever like really been. You know what I mean? I've had happy moments, but like doing something, creating something, working in the minute I created this produced spot was five was just and they played it it was magical and then when i was sitting here and i don't know if you've seen 
I don't know what actors you've seen or someone in your craft where you've just been like, okay, this is for sure what I want to do. But I, I just saw it with the DJs in front of me. I had never really realized that's what I was going to do. And then I realized I've been doing this my entire, I've been making mixtapes for people my entire life. And now I'm sitting here right. at some point you have to say to yourself, maybe I was meant to do this. I mean, clearly right. some people are just made to do certain things. Do you feel that like when you're like, yeah, maybe that takes a lot to admit that though. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, you know, I, I think I was one of those lucky people who kind of maybe a little bit like you, you stumble on it. And then if you're surrounded by people who are supportive of that exploration, yeah, like I was, you know, it makes that admission, it makes that, it makes that exploration so much easier. You know, I think when I told people that I was going off to school to study musical theater, they were like, you know, the majority of the people I've surrounded myself with were like, yeah, that makes total sense. <laughs> there were a few people who were like, cool, can't wait to see what restaurant you're waiting tables at. <laughs> uh, but, you know, overwhelmingly it was, yeah, this is great. I'm sure you're going to do great. And it just, and that support plus the attitude of like, why not? I'm just going to pour myself a hundred percent into whatever this ends up being until it doesn't end up being, um, allowed the space for me to go. All right. Well, yeah. I mean, failure was never an option to me. Mm. Now failure has come a lot, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but that's, you know, that's the thing that you learn to deal with yeah. in, in this business, in my business. It's just, you just, fucking deal with it. <laughs> I I want to pivot the conversation a little bit about how you met your wife and I've seen the two of you singing together and I know that you worked together and if you can talk a little bit about that, you know, like John we, and we don't I don't know anything about that. We met in the radio booth. That's oh. where we met. Was yeah. in the KEXP radio booth. And I had a friend who was doing the Monday night show on KEXP and would have live bands in and asked me to come help him with a live band. So after work on Mondays, I'd drive down the street to KEXP and, and John was working late and he walks, charge of that. he walks into the booth this. and he says, who the hell are you? I was like, who the fuck are you? I, don't and know I was like, oh, that's hot. I got to marry this guy. Yeah, I was no, like, that's who not. Is this beautiful woman. At the... No, was, what the fuck are you doing here? That was like my first line to my future wife. Like, what are you doing here? And it was love at first sight. And I said, hi, I'm Amy. Anyway, so that's our love story. So what's yours? So my, this is, there are similar paths here as well. So Patty and I met basically when I first moved to the city. She, um, we went out for a mutual friend's birthday at a, at a bar and we met each other. They had gone to Syracuse together and, and I was friends with him from, from a job we did together. We met and I promptly like flirted with somebody else. <laughs> and, well uh, but we stayed friends for a while. We, I think she had, she had a boyfriend at the time and I was just being an idiot. Um, and, uh, we went our separate ways, stayed in touch. Um, she was married for a time. And uh, when we really reconnected, we uh, I was just done with uh, my TV show, Arrow. I'd been killed off at the end of the first season. And then, um, and she was uh, off of a big tour and had recently been divorced. I was out of a relationship. 
and we did Shakespeare in the Park together. Uh, we did a production, a musical production of Love's Labor's Lost. And she had this party at her apartment that she had kept. And I went over with that same mutual friend from all those years before. And I was the, she had a friend from childhood that was staying the night. And I ended up being the last one to leave, except for her. After after we went out, she walked me to the elevator, which was literally next to her door. <laughs> She's like, I'll walk you out. And I was like, okay. <laughs> she kissed me. And she promptly went back inside. And she loves to tell people this. She says, I, I didn't know she, he was hot until <laughs> I kissed him. <laughs> and she's like, she said her friend looked at her and was like, duh. <laughs> so she didn't even see you until didn't then. even see me at didn't all. She's like, just didn't... drawn to your magnetism. Hey, no, I think I think you know what a kiss. I think that's what the moral I, of the story is. Maybe that was it. I don't know. Maybe I made way better conversation this time around. Yeah, I right. believe that's probably a little bit. But I was, I, I gotta say, I was totally like, I was done for as soon as mm. I stepped in into that apartment and we started dating that summer during the show like this was that party was the day before we started rehearsal and I think what was running through her mind was fuck I gotta work with this guy now yeah uh and what was running through my mind was like oh my god I get to work with her every day <laughs> it is so weird with uh, for anyone out there who doesn't believe in I don't want to say soulmates, but true love or those moments, like it doesn't necessarily happen in that moment. Like when I saw Amy, I was like, you know, she's pretty, you, and, but mostly like, who the fuck is this weirdo standing <laughs> where there's usually a middle-aged man standing here <laughs> playing music. But there was a moment in that same booth where she walked in. Different day. Different day. And she comes walking in the booth in this brown turtleneck i will never forget my god can this woman pull a turtleneck off and i'm and i'm like and i stood there like a Rare. fucking idiot i'm on the air like the show's happening and i stood there and she's talking to me i don't know what she's saying i'm just <laughs> just like and god and the whole thing i'm like god she smells good what the fuck and <laughs> and she leaves and out loud to this person across the way I say, that is the most beautiful woman I think I've ever seen. I, I, I was just like, and I've seen her a million, and she's there like, Amy? I'm like, yeah, Amy. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that lady who just walked out, who you've seen me with a million times at work. What is it? Like one day you just, and then it was over. And then it was the same deal. Like I was like a puppy yeah. dog wandering into the office like, hi, how's it going? <laughs> Where before I was just like, it's cool. And because I didn't care. I was like, you're just my buddy. This is all good. And then it became this. So, uh, Amy, uh, let's go. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> what, are you, what, are you, what are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Just curious. <laughs> <laughs> like, out of nowhere, I'm a needy weirdo. It must have been obvious. Like, what the fuck? And then I'm thinking, well, now she's going to think. And this then is... I quit my job at KEXP. And married me. So clearly it worked. And then John asked me out. Yeah, that, that is true. He yeah. was calling me and I was like, why is he calling me? I pulled my car over and I was talking to you like, why is he calling me? This is weird. <laughs> And um, we just talked. I don't even know what we talked about. We just talked on the phone. Then you actually came by my office <laughs> and asked and said, I have two tickets to Cigarettes. There it is. And Boom. do you want to go? And I didn't know if it was a date or like, I, I, I didn't, didn't know. I didn't know because we had known each other for so long. And we and he knows I love Cigarettes. So it could have just been two buddies. <laughs> 
right? <laughs> I was hedging my bet because it might have been just two buddies. And then you so, kissed me in the elevator. I did. I kissed her in the elevator. Thank you very much. I did. I couldn't help it. Like, you kissed me in the elevator elevators. on the way to the show. Yeah, not after. Oh, ooh, so bold can, move. I know, because then what? What happens? If <laughs> what like, if it doesn't go well? I hadn't. I'm very and bad at this, so I was then like, we yeah. held hands at the show. That's right. But we we had been in relationships before this. That's right. We were both married. And oh, yeah. we, we had starter marriages. We had starter marriages. They're really nice. So you get a starter marriage, it's terrible. And then it kind of prepares I, you for, for your real marriage. I love the fact that Patty was married before. And like, by the time we got together, and maybe you guys feel the same way, like, you, and being, especially being friends for so long, you just know each other's bullshit. Yeah. And, and you can, and you can call each other out on it. And you know, like even if we we hadn't been that close before we finally got together, but like you just sort of cut through it all, and she knew what she wanted. I was like I was sort of a, a serial dater. I'd never been married, but I you know I'd been in longer relationships that I was just like, and I was done. I was ready to be with that person, and not a person, that person. And uh, we, I, quick story like. After we got together and did the show in, in New York, we went out to L.A. for a little bit. And I had a rental car the whole time, but we knew we wanted to go back for the holidays. We weren't living together. We were living. I rented a place. She was staying with friends. And I said, you know, it would be really fun. What if we like road tripped back to New York for the holidays? And she goes, yeah, sure. Why not? I said, there's no pressure. It's a lot of time together. <laughs> and I was like. I was like, here's the deal. There is a major airport in every city that we go to along the way. <laughs> there and is an like, escape route. Yeah. I said, I said, no lie. If if this is not if this doesn't work out, if 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 you oh, are if either one of us says, you know what, I can't I can't do this. I've been in the car with you for eight hours and this is it. I was like, it's fine. I'll drop you off at the airport. You can fly back. I'll continue on the rest of the way by myself. It's it's totally fine. And we took eight days to drive from L.A. to New York, and it was eight of the best days of my life. And we did 11 days on the way back, and it was the same thing. It was just adventure after adventure and fun. And, like, I just – I fucking loved it. And it was, (laughs) I think, on that first one from L.A. to New York where we both kind of realized, oh, this can be easy. This can be good. Like, And I think – this is it with you. I mean, I love that you said this can be easy because of course there's work and there's things that come up in any relationship and there's things that you have to deal with in your life and things happen to you, right? And you have to navigate it find constantly. Out about the juggling. Yeah. You find out about the juggling, you suddenly have to go to Australia, <laughs> you know, whatever. And, um, but I love that you said it could be easy because I think sometimes we tell ourselves a lie that we have to work harder or things are hard to be worth it. And that's not always true. Sometimes that's true, but that's not always true. And sometimes what's true is that there's a sense of like ease hmm. and, and you can feel guilty for it. Almost like, wait, oh yeah, wait, this is, yeah. this is going well. <laughs> and this is yeah. not hard. And that could be with anything with relationships or work or, you know, whatever. And speaking of all this, I do want to talk about your beautiful little girl. So 
you and your wife had a beautiful little girl last year in last July, I believe. Yes. In 2020. She's a 2020 babe. Yes, she is. And nothing was going on during that time. Nope. So nope. Um, you were just free and easy. <laughs> yep. And, the, and that was uh, easy, right? We were just talking was... about ease. <laughs> you weren't stuck at uh, home or anything. It was, you know. How was having a baby during the pandemic? You are, that is a part of their history and yours you'll always have. It was, um, I'll start with the good. The good thing is I have been able to be here for every second of her life. That is the biggest, most special, greatest gift that I've ever been given. It's the fact that I have not had to worry about work aside from, you know, just worrying in general. Uh, but I haven't had to think about like hustling to auditions or flying off at a moment's notice during her entire life so far. I've been here for everything. Uh, and it's been a, even with all the outside stuff, um, and you probably saw some of the stuff on my social media maybe, mm -hmm. but like it's been a motherfucker of a year uh, with her. And the beginning of her life was uh, not without complications. I mean, A, Patty had COVID during her pregnancy, which was exciting. <laughs> uh, you know, there was about four weeks where I slept in the guest room while, uh, while she was dealing with, uh, the effects of COVID and it was brutal. Um, I was like bringing her food with a mask on and putting it on the bed and walking away and washing everything. And that was, uh, you know, something to deal with. And then she, um, Cecily came and she was very, she was amazing, but she was also four and a half pounds. Uh, and we knew this going in. Uh, she was born with a hole in her heart. She had a uh, ventricular septal defect. I played a doctor on, I played a cardiothoracic surgeon. So you two, I was going to say, that just rolled right off the tongue. Yeah, you two, you Not so much like common. proselytized, but you've got <laughs> ventricular yeah. septal, septal defect down. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Patty's one of. I mean, we've we've seen a lot of uh, doctors during the first part of uh, sure. Cecily's life, and um, Patty, every once in a while, especially in the cardiology department, would love to talk about how because I I just was able to get it a little more easily. I'm obviously not a doctor. <laughs> But I looked at a lot of these things, and so it made some semblance of sense to me. And they would be a little bit taken aback and surprised by things. And she was, she was like, "Well, he did play a surgeon." On oh time. yes, she is my <laughs> hero. She is my hero. Uh, but yeah, so she was she was born uh, with a VSD, and we always knew that surgery was going to happen. But unfortunately, all the things that could happen all the all the symptoms that would eventually show up as she got bigger hopefully uh showed up immediately mm. um she had trouble breathing and she wouldn't wasn't gaining any weight and so when she was like four weeks old she had to be hospitalized for a week um to figure out uh how to get food into her stomach to try to get her to put on some weight so she would be hardier for the surgery that was eventually going to come and so, like, you know, the things that I faked it on TV, like putting a feeding tube down somebody's nose, like I was all of a sudden having to do in real life to my daughter, uh, which was a little messed up. 
but you know, it was, uh, all in all, I was, you just sort of did it. Like it was, it was this amazing period where both of us, um, I'm sure there's a lot to unpack over the coming years, but like we just did it. And there was a lot of sleepless nights of like figuring out what was going on. And then she had her actual surgery. She, she continued to slowly put on weight. And so they finally decided that it was time to do the surgery at 10 weeks. And so they did it. And now she's like a brand new baby. <laughs> it's, um, it's amazing what they do. Uh, I mean, like mind-blowing shit, what they're able to do on such a tiny little human. And our surgeon, Dr. Pestuskos at Mount Sinai Hospital was, uh, I mean, I texted him a week or so or two weeks after the surgery when she finally got the tube out and she was, you know, free of the hospital and home with us. And, and, uh, we heard her, we heard her cry for the first time, like actually wail, which she had never been able to do before because she was working so hard to breathe. And both of us started crying and laughing because we were like, holy shit, she's loud. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> which makes sense for a kid of two singers. But yeah. we, I remember texting in and saying, you know, I, I don't know how I'm ever going to be able to thank you for giving me a new daughter at, you know, 12 weeks or 10 weeks. And it was, it was, it was an incredible feeling to know that everything was going to be fine. I mean, she's, she's fine now, which is just amazing to me that it's fixed and, gives me such an appreciation for parents that have to deal with ongoing maladies in their kids and, and uh, the strength that it takes to like deal with all the hospital visits and all the insurance issues and, and just figuring out the day-to-day -day life of like, how do we make life okay? Uh, it was, um, you know, we're, we were lucky in that respect. Like there was a fix. Um, so yeah, it was an interesting year. <laughs> you also lost <clears throat> lost a friend to COVID. I know that. We did. Uh, you know, a member of the Broadway community, yeah. um, Nick Cordero. He was uh, just an amazing guy. We were like friends, sort of peripherally, uh, but he was, you know, he was one of those guys who was just loved by everybody and had such a big awesome personality and uh you know we were never people that like doubted the severity of um all of the things <laughs> but having it happen to somebody who's part of it i mean it's a small community we 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 live in the same as i'm sure the music scene mm -hmm. is out there or anywhere really but it's you know the broadway world is is pretty darn small and to see somebody going through that and um, see the way that his wife had to deal with everything and the, the grace that she exhibited uh, going through all of it. And, you know, he's leaving behind a cute little kid and that like just doubly broke my heart to, um, to know that he wasn't going to be able to grow up with him. And it was hard. It was, uh, I, I really felt for not only his family, but all, all the people who had ever done shows with him because he was one of those guys who just left your mark on you immediately. Well, it, it, you know, the pandemic seems like lifetimes are condensed into this small period of time. Like we've all changed and it, you, you sound like you've had three or four. So, <laughs> so it's, I like your attitude through it. Not once did you say through that with your daughter, 
or your situation, it sounds like you just kept moving forward. It sounds like that you kind of had to for your daughter, which is what we do for our kids. Um, but I think there's a lot to learn there that, that when tested, you know, we can get through these things and have perspective when we get out of them. I often say you've got to get up at least one more time than you fall. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's amazing. Like, I mean, we're so lucky. We, we live nearby to Patty's family and my family was unbelievably supportive and like calling every day. And, and, you know, every once in a while we look back on it and there's, we're so, we're so grateful that we have this community of friends and family that have been, that were there for us every step of the way and that were checking in on us and making sure that we were doing okay. And not only, not only that she was going to be okay, but that we were taking care of ourselves, which was so, well, at times really difficult to do. Um, but like, it's funny because it's all a little bit of a blur to us in how we dealt with it. And it's a little skewed, I think, because I look back on it and I'm like, I was a fucking wreck. <laughs> Inside, at least. Like, I was, you know, I and I processed it in whatever way that I could and you know, usually it was putting on a face and going like, all right, well, I'm, I'm walking across the park. I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take over for Patty at the hospital. I'm walking across the park and it's going to take me 45 minutes to get there. And I'm going to get a sandwich on the way. And like, it was the little things right. that I was holding on to, to be able to just get from minute to minute. And I see like, you know, some friends of ours and family have been like, you guys handled it so well. It's like, you guys never worried. And I was like, cool. <laughs> so I got to ask you, I'm going to now come back around to the very beginning of this. Were you meditating on those days or were you just like fucking gone? No, I was every day. Wow. More than, more yeah. than ever. I was, we were sitting in the hospital and every time, every time Cecily slept for any amount of time, I was like, I was sitting in a chair at the hospital and, and, and meditating. And, you know, I, there were so many mornings when I was, you know, waking up and, uh, turning on, uh, honestly, turning on your show, John, and, and, and getting through. And there's so many shows that, that helped me get through in a day. And we still sit and every day at 10 o'clock, I, you know, turn off the sound on the TV and, you know, <laughs> chances are Cecily and I are hanging out, sitting around playing and she's listening with me. And it's, it's just, it, it was, we got into the routine and like, I made sure that I was trying to take care of myself because if I took care of myself, I was going to be able to take care of her and I was going to be able to be there for Patty as much as she needed. And, you know, we were, you know, it was like team, all team all the time. Yeah. It's inspiring, man. And I, I'm, when I get messages like that, I think that's also why we connected just as a dad and, and a music fan and finding out that, that, this unique show that I do. Um, cause it's not like all the other morning shows. I realized that. <clears throat> and by the way, I used to do it over in New York and it wasn't 10 AM and it was so nice. I would take the subway to Brooklyn and <laughs> people were around. It was sunny out. So I want to talk music with you real quick. Cause we're almost, I don't, I don't want to say goodbye to you yet, but cause I want to talk about your music. We're actually yeah. been playing your music and we'll be playing a new song. And we're gonna talk about that in a sec from your band, the 1920. And I'm gonna say band, it's a duo band, you know, white stripes are a band. That's a duo. So anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> so you release music during this, uh, this pandemic as well. And, uh, and your love of cocktails, uh, found its way into your music. So you can see why I like Colin. So he's playing music. <laughs> 
And he's singing. He juggles. And, well, and he juggles. I did not learn that till now. So now I like him more. And um, this uh, chaos and cocktails was a thing. Can you tell me a little bit about it and, and your buddy who's, who, uh, who played with you? Yeah, so my uh, my buddy Brian Yusufer, who is a like super talented you know, musician and music director on Broadway, actually, uh, I I've been writing for years and just always had a little bit of a case of imposter syndrome because I never felt like I was writing the music that I wanted to hear or that was good enough to be heard. And I I posted a song that I had recently wrote on Instagram at the urging of Patty and. Brian and I coincidentally had had a like random conversation backstage one day and he was like, you know what? We should write some music. And so he texted me as soon as I posted it and was like, Hey man, we're not doing anything. Let's do this. (laughs) And, uh, we just started writing. We came up with, uh, a group of songs that we felt fit together and recorded the entire thing separately. Basically, I would like send him guitar and vocal tracks, and then he would produce it and fill in the blanks. Uh, and we would just go back and forth over Zoom until we felt like we had a finished song. And uh, speaking of cathartic things, it was finally I felt like I had some music that I was really proud of, and it was because I was finally collaborating with somebody that got it mm. and like really could steer me in a cool direction. And so we released the album that, weirdly enough, when I was coming up with song titles, Chaos and Cocktails was actually the original title of one of the tracks. And I was like, what if we just named everything after a classic cocktail? And as I started researching them to find names, they all seemed to kind of fit to whatever the song was uh, as I dipped through my old cocktail books that I have sitting on the shelf. And uh, yeah, and so we we formed the band. The band name is a little cheeky reference to, you know, the year that we all just went through and all the things happening in that year that shall not be named. <laughs> yes. uh, and we've just been kind of diving in. You know, we're, we're both, we've both got families. We've both got work outside of the music, but it's like just this really fun thing that we love doing together. And I can't wait to finally play live at some point with him. But like for now, it's awesome to be able to have somebody on the other end of the phone or on the other end of the computer to say, Hey, I've got an idea for a new song. Like let's dive in tomorrow. You know, let's meet at like 11 o'clock at night and have a whiskey and, and, talk about stuff for a little bit. So, um, so you did that, you kind of, you kind of had a theme around it. You got music out, you kind of, you're getting into a groove with it now. So what now with it? What, you know, we're coming out of COVID ish and, uh, could be heading back in. We don't know, but, um, people are starting to go to shows. Um, have you been to a show? Have you gone out? We we've saw We've seen a small, like our friends own a, a little winery tasting room. We saw some music there. It's about all we could handle. That is where we are at. Where are you at with your live music? And have you seen any live music? Uh, we have not scheduled to play anywhere just yet. We were supposed to schedule something for this fall, um, <laughs> but it got a little sidetracked, obviously. Um, and uh, really, we're just we're just kind of writing uh, as far as my own, like going to see live music. I'm still like, I, I've been seeing the crowds at like Lala 
and oh, all man. this stuff. And I I'm like, that. oh my God. <laughs> I, know, just I saw that. Full blown panic attack. I just like threw up in my mouth when I saw that. I was like, whoa. It's <laughs> yeah. like terrible noise. Whoa. I texted some friends in Chicago and I was like, are you going this weekend? They're like, no, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> but it's, um, you know, I I love the fact that people are making it work and that live music is coming back. I'm not quite there yet, but I can't wait for it. That's what we wanted to hear. Hey, Colin, thanks for spending so much time with us today. It has been so good to uh, to catch up with you. You know, I, we've checked in with each other throughout this, and you've been really a, a nice person to talk to in a fellow traveler and all this and, and uh, kind of a kindred spirit out there. And talking to you more, I realize, besides the juggling and the ankle injuries, um, <laughs> just having a lot in common and finding that fellow like creative father out there. And, and it's just been really nice to, to get to know you and uh, yes. make sure you make your way up here to Seattle. Cause uh, we, we cannot wait to hang out with you at the bar. Well, it's, it's one of my favorite places. And now I've got two new friends to be able to actually uh, to visit and have, have some good times with it. The feeling is totally mutual. I mean, I, I, I loved you guys before getting to do this um, just from everything that you do and everything that you put out there and the message that you guys so effectively get across. Um, and it's, you guys are so open and honest and, and raw and cool. And, uh, you know, I've been big admirers of both of you for quite some time now. And it's really lovely to be able to actually spend a bit of time just hanging out and <laughs> chatting and, and like getting to know each other even a little bit more and, we can both juggle. So automatically, <laughs> I think that really sort of like it, I think there's actually a pact that yes. you sign well, like when what, you yeah. start to juggle yeah, that like says that pact. you have to be friends with anybody else who juggles. Yeah. There's so few of us and we have so few friends that it's, <laughs> it's, it's going to be you and me in front of the vinyl wall at life on Mars. Juggle, juggling. It's Colin safe travels. I can't wait to hear about the Australia project and um, my, our best to your lovely families. Thank you very much. Same to you guys. The bottle that sat on the shelf Just opened its mouth Been a while since I seen you Now here's to your health There's chaos inside you Afraid to go open the door Just sank to the floor There's ghosts coming for you You know what they're for this chaos around you And soon you'll be Jet-setting away with me Yeah, soon you'll be Jet-setting Finally free That was Colin Donnell, uh, someone clearly we have gotten to know more during this pandemic, although I fell in love with him when he was on The Affair. And he was singing on there. It was a very I nice know. moment. We, I, didn't, I didn't mention it to him. Yeah, we, um, you know, Colin's easy on the eyes. Yeah. You know, he's a good looking guy and yeah. he's very nice. Mm -hmm. But for a long time, we called him John's boyfriend. That's right. And John's like, yeah. I mean, because he's that level of handsome and he <laughs> knows it. He has, Colin knows he's got, <laughs> he's got this level of handsome. Just making jokes. All right. We uh, we want to thank Colin, and we're going to be again playing a new song from his band, The 1920 at the end of this podcast um, that we're really excited about. Um, but before we do that, uh, Amy, uh, you know, Colin brought this up, and 
we talk a little bit about this a lot on our social media, a lot of info out there about meditation. I loved hearing what he said about it. Like he immediately, when we went to what's been helping you, and then he talked about meditating, but then even talked about how it was part of his life with a new baby. And if you can pull that off, he's a busy dude. We're all very busy. Um, he pulls that off and exercise again, hero. Like these, this is this, these two things make me feel better all the time. Meditation, exercise, but meditation, um, it's so important. You know, it really is. And, you know, I've talked about this a little bit before, but, um, meditation. So there's so many different kinds of meditation, first of all. And some people, they just need to sit quietly and try not to, um, allow too many ruminating thoughts. Right. And the idea is, is to notice them, but not judge them. That's one way to do meditation. And some people who practice that, you know, they feel like they're meditating like for one minute out of 10, right? And then other nine minutes is like trying to fight the rumination. And I did that for a long time. That was kind of the meditating I did. And these days I do a meditation where I have a whole thing I'm doing and I set the timer for 12 minutes, but sometimes it just takes as long as it takes. And sometimes it's like, when I'm done, it's like 25 minutes later or 30 minutes later. And then sometimes I'm done at like 10 minutes and it's really helpful. And part of the meditation I do is like a compassion for the world. And then I do a gratitude part and then I do a forgiveness part And then I sort of try to visualize a situation that I want to go well or whatever. And then I sort of um, do like a body scan, right? And that's kind of the, you know, doctor in me, like really like where am I tight? Am I like able to breathe or does my chest feel tight or like sort of do a, a body scan and then, and then end it. And, but there's so, 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 so much research on meditation and health, because stress, I've said this before, stress is killing us. It's a huge, it's, and again, it's a piece of the puzzle. It's not the only thing, but we're so stressed out all the time that we're constantly in survival mode and meditating can sort of quiet that down and regulate your heart rate and regulate your breathing and just get that parasympathetic nervous system going. And I find personally, when I meditate, I'm way more in touch with my intuition and my decision making is way faster. And then the way I go about my work or my life is so much more um, efficient and productive. And so if you think you don't have time to meditate, I say you don't have time not to. Yeah, I said that with Colin. <laughs> I, I believe that. It's just really quick. I, you know, so many people don't do it because they think they're doing it wrong. And, mm-hmm. and, and I've, I've heard this before. And how am I supposed to do it? And I'm doing it wrong. We've had a monk tell us, you know, we've talked about our monk friend, but he went to a very, very famous, I'm not going to drop their names, but very, very famous actor and actress who have a meditation room. And it's like this, you know, elaborate meditation million dollar room or whatever. It's just like the most amazing thing. Right. And then he got in the car with him. Remember that story? Well, he said they never use it. They never use it. And then he got in the car and the dude was just like, "Ah, road rage, just road rage. And he said, the thing about meditation is you, you, you shouldn't be in a silent room all the time. You should have these distractions. You you just meditate. Like, how are you when the shit happens? That's right. So if you're always meditating in a quiet room and you have your space all the time, that's great. But um, it was it was interesting to me, and it really helped me to hear that, that I don't have to have a special room necessarily. If you do, great. Um, and you can meditate anywhere. 
and it for any amount of time. And I always joke and say, oh man, well, I got about a minute of a clear head there. Well, it's a minute I didn't have. Those other nine minutes, I was probably thinking about some stuff that I needed to get it, get done. So if you have a busy mind, you have the monkey mind, that's okay. You're not failing. Yeah. And over time, it actually does get better. It actually does feel more comfortable and it does the monkey mind kind of, it's not as long sometimes. Sometimes it comes back and you don't even have a second of a clear mind at all, but that's okay. You're working things out. And I just, I just want people to know it's like running. I just want people to go out and run. Once you take two steps, you're a runner. Well, once you sit down in silence um, or, you know, silence, at least in your brain for a few minutes, you're, you're meditating and, and set a timer. That's always good. There's all kinds of great apps. I use a Calm app. It's very popular. There's I, like the Headspace app. Yeah, there's I, a Calm app. There's yeah. the Insight timer. Calm, I, there's I, so many. I do like a rain one because I just like that. And uh, the thing I learned too, to, uh, to hit do not disturb on your phone. Because there's nothing worse than getting the uh, the ding of someone calling and, and interrupting your time. So I've been using that timer whenever I can. So I just, for people who are just like, oh, I don't know how to do it. it it's amazing to just start. That's it. Just mm-hmm. sit down. Sit down today. Find 10 minutes for yourself. Yeah. It, there's Start at 10 minutes. That's what I started yeah. at. Start training your parasympathetic nervous system. Everything's starting to close in. Our souls are working overtime The space between my ears is feeling paper thin But our hearts are working out the right Everything's coming All right, Amy, we got to get going. We've talked about periods. We've talked about meditating. We've talked about acting. We've talked about teaching our children how to drive. This is action-packed <laughs> podcast. And we have a song debut coming up as well. But before we get out of here, there's uh, all kinds of people to thank. Uh, we want to thank Colin Donald for spending uh, his time with us today. I really appreciate you, man. Uh, and can't wait to get a, a drink at our bar down the road with, with that fellow. Well, flowers for strangers, flowers Isn't for it? strangers, by the way, um, that, that the song is called flowers for strangers, the debut. Yeah. Um, I should mention that that's coming up in a sec. We talked to our general manager, uh, at the bar, at the bar. And, and because he did a whole album of songs around again, around drinks, but this one wasn't, this one's going to be a drink and it's going to be the funniest thing ever. So now you're on the inside knowledge tip here. Yes. And then you can go to life on Mars and order a flowers for strangers coming soon. Oh man. That made me so happy. <laughs> Look, why, why own a bar? If you can't do that, why own a bar? There's this, right. There's and no we reason. love our general manager. He's always game for shit like that. Oh, he's totally he's never view. like, that's well. That's not how you do it. Oh, He's like, sure. <laughs> we we just we just uh, did a special, and it was called Attack of the Killer Nachos. So this is what <laughs> this is the bar where you're dealing with. We have amazing titles in there, so uh, we look forward to that. Big thank to our friends at Ruinous Media, Joe, Pat, and Chris, and our, our neighbor and friend uh, Michael Lerner. And yep. uh, again, telekinesis. If you're ever looking for his music, I get asked this all the time. Michael Lerner does indeed do the Doctor and the DJ song. And uh, Telekinesis is an amazing, amazing band. Do we have anybody else to thank? Um, I'd like to thank our 16-year-old son for not killing you today. Oh, yeah. Or yeah, not I crashing my that. car. I'm alive. I, I, you know, we'll see how the rest of the week I'd goes. I'd like to thank my period. <laughs> I'd like to thank Amy's period as well. 
Um, all right, we're going to end this with, uh, oh, by the way, Doctor and the DJ. You got to find us, Doctor and the DJ. I always forget this. On the Instagrams. On the Instagrams. You can write us directly. On the interwebs. We may answer your question on this podcast. If you have questions, comments, uh, anything, mm-hmm. we would love to hear from you. Uh, spread the word about this podcast to everyone you know. Thank you so much for downloading and listening to this podcast as well. We really appreciate all of you in the community, and we want to treat you with kindness, just like we tell everyone else to do. Um, and we want to leave you with a new song. So here it is. This is Flowers for Strangers, and uh, this is from the 1920. We look forward to uh, hopefully seeing them live down the road.